Want to earn 20 to 25 hours of literacy professional development? Check out a new online course led by host Susan Lambert, Foundations to the Science of Reading. Join fellow educators in this self-paced course designed to equip you with the knowledge and skills to bring evidence-based literacy practices into your classroom. Explore eight modules that will strengthen your understanding of the science of reading and earn a course completion certificate. Find out more information, access a preview, and register at amplify.com slash SORcourse. How do we help students become confident readers? And what do all our students need so they can enjoy reading success, especially during this unprecedented time? Welcome to Season 3 of Science of Reading, the podcast. I'm your host, Susan Lambert. This season, we're celebrating the 20th anniversary of Scarborough's Reading Rope, a model that helps us understand the complexities of learning to read and helps us focus on evidence-based practices. Each episode will cover elements of the model, what it means and how it should impact classroom instruction. We've lined up a dream team of science of reading experts we think you'll really love. The science of reading movement continues to grow and at a time that is more important than ever. It's vital we focus on research-based practices to deliver classroom instruction that allows students to learn. If they aren't learning, we need to examine our practices. We may not know what changes are coming next, but we do know we need to stay connected and learning from each other will get us through it. The more we learn and listen, the more we'll be prepared to lead. Our students are counting on us. No matter where you are in your science of reading journey, this episode has something for you. Alana Mangum, Literacy and Learning Specialist with the Center for Development and Learning, joins us to share her journey to evidence-based learning practices. We also talk about the importance of supporting all teachers in their transition. There are lots of goodies in this episode, a perfectly practical episode. Well, hello, Elena. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. Good morning. Thank you, Susan. This is such an honor. I've been such an avid listener on my drives to and from work. So uh, the invite is um, very exciting and humbling. Well, thank you for that. We're really excited to chat with you today because you've had quite a journey and the work that you're doing now is just so important and so impactful. So I thought we would really start this time um, just a little bit different than we normally do, but I'd love for you to share with our listeners a little bit about your current role and the work that you're doing right now before we sort of step back into the journey of how you got here. Absolutely. So my name is Elena Mangum, and I am the literacy specialist at the Center for Development and Learning. Uh, It's a nonprofit based in Louisiana. Most people know us for our National Literacy Conference, Plain Talk. And it's a great conference. I know. It's, it's, I call it, it's like the Woodstock of literacy conferences. (laughs) And, you know, it's funny years ago, I've, I've been attending for so many years and, and taking all that great information back and just bucket list was, I, I just want to work. I just want to present. I just want to present, you know, and I was thinking really big, maybe I want to work there. And I, I got the email <laughs> that said, um, will you present, which about, you know, fell off the chair when that happened. 
And then by the time that rolled around, I was on on staff. So I feel like, you know, that's that literacy fairy tale dream come yeah. true for me. So That's in really my cool. role at CL as a literacy specialist, I have created um, a training for the science of reading called Growing Reading Brains for educators that really take in all the, the research. And there's so much of it and there's constantly learning, but taking all that research, but then also giving the very r- real world life of a classroom teacher and the application pieces where they can get started the next day or in a mm. few days. Um, just through my experiences that you just need someone to be able to say, here's all the stuff you need to know because you have to know it, but here's the piece that you can get started. And I think that was, um, it's been recepted very well. Teachers have the best of intentions, but they have a lot on their plate and they're motivated and excited And then they go back to 20 faces looking at them and it's the real world and and they just need additional support. I also do some consulting, coaching, modeling, Uh, excited that I um, was a member of Louisiana's Early Literacy Commission. We have also started uh, the Reading League Louisiana chapter. So I am the vice president of that. And recently, asked to be on the Michael Hegarty advisory board. So a lot of, a lot of great things, a lot of um, great support and everyone just sharing this, this mission for students. Yeah. It sounds like you have your, your hands in lots of different things that are happening across the country. Yes. And I love it. I love learning. I love paying it forward, sharing information and just really kind of collaborating and all working together. That's, that's awesome. Um, let's take just one tiny step back and let's talk about CDL in general. Can you talk a little bit, and we'll link our listeners in the show notes to the, to the website, but in general, what, is, what does CDL do and sort of what's their purpose and mission? So we know that there is a nationwide deficit issue. I mean, everything you can think of where students are not at the the level that they need to be with reading. So we really support educators and help teachers become more effective in the science of reading. And we know that low student achievement is an adult problem, not a student problem. So we really want to empower our educators, whether you're talking about child care center educators, you know, all the way up um, to to higher ed. We really want to support and understanding how the brain learns to read, why we do certain things. And it's really taking all that information and then also involving parental uh, support and parents. There's a lot of times uh, in our Baton Rouge office, we are across the street at the Capitol and our fearless leader, our CEO, Dr. Weibel, and some of our staff are working on house bills and and supporting things that uh, behind the scenes through legislation. So we really are working on and work towards that practical knowledge piece and strategies are devised and delivered to teachers that will assist the classroom. And we cannot afford to face the reality of these failing students anymore. It's it's a crucial link that's missing, you know, in in our education and tackling those real-time issues 
is really important to us. Um, but again, everything in our sole purpose is doing this because of the research of the science of reading for 50 plus years of research. So we really take that um, as our forefront and move forward with supporting childcare workers through uh, licensing, license procedures that way, or classroom teachers, superintendents, and even, you know, legislation. Hmm. And I love that you said that this is really an adult responsibility, that it's really our jobs to do the things that we need to do to support our students, because that's what the system, you know, is put in place to do. Right. And I, and I think that's, uh, and it's not at all to say that we want to blame or shame anyone, but it's our, our roles as adults, um, to support these kids that don't have voices and might not necessarily know better right now. Yeah. 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 I love how you said that too, because we know, you know, um, me as a teacher walking into the classroom for the first time, it didn't take me long to figure out, "Mm, I'm not equipped. Um, my undergraduate program didn't prepare me to do the thing that I needed to do in the classroom. And I know a lot of educators across the country are feeling that too. And a lot of them, you know, our listeners have started to take steps towards better understanding what the science of reading means and how to make application to the classroom. So I'm really excited to link our listeners to the to the website so that they can start to see all of the things that are happening. And I'm going to give one more plug. I told you before we hit the record button, I'm going to give one more plug for this Plain Talk conference. And the thing that I love about it one of the things, first of all, you're with your own people there. You really don't have to weed through sessions to figure out what's evidence-based and what's not because the entire conference is all about that. But I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how you like how you get to be a speaker there. You don't submit a conference proposal to get to be a speaker, but the speakers are hand-picked. Is that right? That's right. So speakers are hand-selected. We really listen to the crowd every year, our attendees. We also listen to our presenters, who they are influenced by, what work they have seen that they want to showcase. And I think that really keeps it at a a top-notch level where we can really keep that cohesive underlying message streamlined. And I think that's one of the biggest takeaways as I've, as I've been an attendee every year is that every session I walked in, there was little pieces that were connected. And it's not like every presenter is all working together to, to work on presentations, but it's very strategically planned on the flow, the education tracks, but it's all about the science of reading. So you're, you're going to see all these connections. And you can just deepen your understanding, even if you're a newbie, by the time you leave a two and a half day conference, you have a better grasp at some of the science of reading conceptual models and some of the ideas that are behind the research. And what I love even is down to our exhibitors, we ensure that they are supporting the research of cognitive science and neuroscience and linguist to really make sure that when educators are walking in, this is where you should be. This is who you need to listen to. And if you're at a place where you have funding, 
here are materials or resources that you can purchase that we support as well. Hmm. That's amazing. And, and what's, what's really, I mean, your fairy tale story is pretty amazing, but, um, the, the other great part about what CDL does and specifically the Plain Talk Conference is that you respect people on where they are in their journey. So like you said, there is something for everybody, whether you're just starting, whether you're midway through, even as an expert, and, and I know you know this too, but the our, our researchers in science of reading are continuing to learn so that you can never learn too much. I think that's probably one of um, the highlights is that you're going to walk into a session and there's been many times where, you know, Mary Dahlgren is in the audience watching my session and, you know, I see Judy Dotson hopping in with, with some of, um, some of the sessions and, and it's just, um, a really neat feeling knowing that we are true learners and we are in this atmosphere where we just want to grow together and collaborate together. And it's, it's uh, quite amazing to see, you know, it's, it's a little time to get nerdy uh, and geek out a little <laughs> bit, or, uh, you know, these education rock stars all hanging out in uh, the food line, <laughs> you know, or in your session with yep. you and participating as they are an attendee. So it's, it's really a special, um, a special treat to see that. Yeah. Well, we want to talk a little bit about, so, you know, I know you shared that, that, that plain talk conference was pivotal for you in terms of your learning journey. Um, and so I would love to sort of lean into that idea of your learning journey and go all the way back to when you first started, um, as a teacher and, and, you know, where did your journey in terms of being in front of kids start? So, um, I think it'll be helpful for our listeners and, um, and, and I find it to be fascinating. So, so should we go back in time? Let's go back in time. Let's do this. All right. <laughs> where, where, and how did that whole thing start for you in well, terms of getting so, into education? Yes. Yes. So, uh, 19 years old, I packed up and moved to New York city because I wanted to. And, um, <laughs> I figured if I didn't like it, I could always go home. So, um, 11 years later, I was still there. And during that time, started going to school for teaching, taught at a great um, PS52 in Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn. And we were completely immersed in the reading and writing workshop through Columbia University Teachers College for, with Lucy Calkins. And that is all I knew. And in fact, going into it, I finally felt like, great, I'm going to learn something about teaching because I had one class in my undergraduate and graduate courses that talked about phonics. So to go and finally feel like you're learning how to teach kids to read when you're looking at these, you know, precious first grade faces with their little Brooklyn accents, um, I wanted to soak it all in and know what I needed to do. So I took many subway rides to upper Manhattan for training at teacher's college. We had the staff developers in our school. It was complete balanced literacy right down to, you know, the queuing system and guessing at words and running records. And all I can tell you right now is 
how many times my students that I couldn't reach cross my mind still to this day if and think of course if I just knew better and what does their life look like how how did they go through and manage through middle school and high school and you know they're in their 20s now and and how are they doing with their their career their life and mm -hmm. it's it really hits it hits home when you realize the advocacy part of teaching has to be there too and it it really is kind of embedded in you if you're an educator but we have to make sure we're using our voices for these children and once we know better we have to do better and we have to spread that message because i was definitely not doing the right thing and That's... i will own that but i know i the same way same breath i'll say there's no shame for anyone that has experienced this yeah oh i love that i love that so much because in this idea in order to know better do better you have to have some kind of awakening or reality that what you're doing right now isn't right or isn't working and you have to find a better way let's talk about the context of that classroom that you were in or you know the school that you were in how was the the data in terms of, of reading achievement for those kids so we used uh, a leveling system through Fontes and Pinnell and I did have students that were progressing through levels, you know, and now looking at research and I love Nancy Young's ladder of reading where I can think back now and go, oh, those were that, that top 5% of kids that no matter what I did, they were going to be fine and they were going to read. And then there was a group of students, you know, your tier two kids that needed some structured literacy. It was really important that they have it. And I had a very, um, I mean, she's still, I still hold her in such high regards. The principal I had, and she's now, you know, big time superintendent in New York City. And she had us after school working with these students using an explicit instruction um, curriculum and, ah. and some during the day as well. So there were definitely some pieces that contradicted looking back, knowing what I know, yeah. but those kids still got some explicit instruction. And I think that's why they were able to move enough to move on. But I, it still definitely wasn't what all it could have been. And then, of course, my tier three students, thinking about them where they need, you know, multiple exposures and the structured literacy, they didn't get enough. So hmm. they weren't moving like they should be moving. And sometimes they... I just felt they were stuck and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what data to look at. I didn't know any of these conceptual models that could have guided me at least to start thinking or, or searching on my, you know, my own to look for our strategies. And I think that's the biggest um, part is not only do you have to start delving into this research and these graphics to start making an understanding for yourself but you have to know and use that data and know where the data connects to the research. And I think that's really important for, um, for educators in a classroom. Hmm. So you're, I mean, we talked to about the importance of tier one instruction or good core instruction, but you've, 
it sounds to me like your core one, you know, your tier one instruction, that core instruction was even something different than what you were trying to do in tier two and tier three. So there was sort of a disconnect there. Exactly. And, you know, and I even see it today and some curriculums that are even, you know, popular and, and, you know, slap that science of reading sticker on the front cover are doing the same thing. And Mm. it's, it's contradicting, contradictory to the message that needs to be sent. Um, And not that it's anyone's message in particular, it's the message of what fMRI say about the brain and Mm -hmm. why we're not listening to that message um, still shocks me sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you were in Brooklyn, you were a teacher. Um, What, what happened next in your journey after, after that? So I had the privilege of moving back to the South and continuing teaching first grade in uh, central Louisiana, Alexandria, Louisiana at um, Rapids Parish. And a few short years later, I moved to the district level and became the ELA curriculum specialist for kindergarten through fifth grade. And there was this abundant message that kept coming up every conversation, every professional development. And it was, our, my kids can't read. Our kids can't read. We need phonics. We need phonics. I feel like that's kind of everyone's message before you go through this journey is that you just think that, like, I just need that little packet to open up and sprinkle phonics, and then I'm going to fix it. And then you get into it all and realize, (laughs) wait a minute, (laughs) it's not just phonics. Um, But that was the message is that we needed, we needed support and help. And we had the best of intentions. And I had a wonderful assistant superintendent that was completely on board with you know, the teachers, the ones that are in the field and what they're saying and what they need. We created um, a rubric. We brought in five, six various curriculum companies. They did their whole spiel and we scored them and we talked about it for two days. We had teachers, we had administrators, we had district level staff. And we ended the second day with pieces this teacher liked this piece. This group of teachers liked this piece from this curriculum. This admin said they could see that working at their school. And we left there with no decision, no clear cut answer, except we needed to train our teachers and not another program. It, they were the ones that were going to, to, to see the growth, to see the proficiency in our students, that we needed to train them and empower them with, the reason why the brain does the way it, it does when we when we read and we need to train them on the processors of the brain. Hmm. Where were you at this point in your journey to understand the science of reading? So where were you personally? Very, very fresh. Very fresh. Um, maybe, <laughs> I love that word. <laughs> that's, that's one of those words that I take from, uh, those are my sweet babies in Brooklyn. That was one of their, their lingos. So it, it has traveled with those all those years and all that uh those miles uh very new i've you know read a few articles but nothing to the extent where i felt even comfortable about what that even meant or to be able to you know i think about robert marzano you know i couldn't reteach someone to really own it um, at that point hmm You know, I just want to make a comment that, especially for listeners that are out there that are um, 
just starting in their journey and they may be in positions at the district level and you know of leadership and influence and just to give them sort of affirmation that number one you're doing the right thing to start on this journey but you don't have to be an expert before you lead others to start on the journey too would you agree with that absolutely and i think the power and not being an expert to start out with is that we grew together and mm. you were able to see your leaders and your support staff at the district level learning alongside you and listening to you. And I think that was the power and building capacity and finding those hidden gems in the education field that really got excited and then pull them in to kind of be those cheerleaders on the ground for you. And uh, I, I really think it was, that was that, it wasn't the magic sprinkles of phonics. It was the collaboration and learning together about information you didn't know you needed. And that was that magic sprinkle dust that we needed. Hmm, that's great. This the stuff that you didn't know that you needed. Um, so you you started this journey yourself, but how did that translate then into in terms of what you were trying to accomplish within the district there to sort of bring people along in this journey as well? So what we did is we created um, in Rapids Parish we had a K to three literacy plan, and it had four major components. We did a science of reading training, starting with our lowest performing schools. Hmm. We had a common assessment for all kindergarten through third grade students where I was able to track the data across the board to, to look for trends, misunderstandings, understandings. We had, uh, this one probably was my favorite and I know it, it, it seems so small, but we were able to in pupil progression call our Bible of all the rules and regulations of your district, we took and separated our ELA block. And we separated into an ELA block and a reading foundations block. So ideally it mimicked Scarsborough's reading rope where you had knowledge and right. word recognition. So that alone gave teachers almost that autonomy, but almost that permission to teach kids to just read. And during that block of time, supported them with, here's what that block of time looks like. And, and here are the components that we want to see. And then it was easier to go in and support educators, provide professional development, uh, emails even within that block. And then we, our fourth piece is that we continued uh, literacy learning through summer with our summer literacy camp. And, uh, it was very exciting. Kids loved that and took that stigma away from summer school. And we solely focused on literacy. Hmm. So four things, and I'm going to restate them. You worked on science of reading training to bring up all of the educators in terms of what science of reading means. You put in a common assessment. You calendarized ELA. So you specifically put that into the schedule in ways that supported the research and you sort of made this shift from stigmatizing summer learning to actually flipping that idea into something that was exciting for kids to do through a literacy camp. Absolutely. That's it. And of course, it's like, oh, we only did four things, but you know, teachers know, <laughs> it, 
teachers know when when their admin says we're only going to do this just one thing that it's it's heavy but <laughs> the teachers were excited and when they started seeing the results when they started getting their own aha moments it was incredible and i can tell you if there's any you know district staff principals that are listening and we got them stuff and you know teachers we like <laughs> we want things in our hands that are tangible not go print this yourself and make it and i was very fortunate the the support i had at the district staff um in the district administration with any science of reading training or anything I, I kind of went to and said, look, they need this. They allowed me to purchase it. And it, it's something as simple as movable alphabets, um, dry erase markers and dry erase boards. And we had vowel owls and word ladders. Basically, if we were going to completely immerse and support them, again, teachers have the best of intentions. They want to do the best for their students and we can provide yeah. all that training, but then they still have to walk into the room and then make it happen. And we know we want that tactile and we want that multi-sensory. So providing them with various kits, you know, even from Mary Dahlgren tools for reading, you know, kid lips and different supportive mm -hmm. uh, materials uh, really helped out. Hmm. So, um, what did you see in terms of what was happening with your student uh, student achievement, given all of these efforts? The teachers alone, you know, and I, I go back to teachers. My boss was always very much um, the type that said, you know, what do they want? What do they need? What do they think? What do they feel? And that's something I've taken with me. And I hope to remain that way the rest of my career is really wearing that teacher hat. So mm -hmm. wanted to hear from them. What was working for them? Did they see power in this? And they, so many times I would hear teachers tell me, I've been doing this wrong for my entire career. I've been doing this wrong for 20 years. And they couldn't believe something as simple as, you know, uh, just a better understanding of, of a of simple passage in first grade where they took it down to even just the sentence level and, and trying to determine what is that root cause of why they're getting stuck? And then sometimes mm. it, it took them all the way back to phonological awareness. And they didn't know that sequence of what to do. So they felt that they were actually able to move students through a progression, not the progression necessarily that their curriculum lined out. And mm. after three years, this data is, is shocking to be honest and i'm just talking about third grade because we know third grade that predictor year we yeah. had um beginning third grade 20 i think it was 2015 2016 2016 2017 i uh, can't remember the year offhand we had 18 percent of our third graders proficient hmm. in one year they moved to 47 percent wow and the third year it was at 68 percent and those following those kindergarten, kindergarten first, sec, you know, and what was great is that we started seeing that data and that progression and that growth in these students triangulate over into the state assessments. So that really was not that the state assessment should be end all be all, but it's the realistic world that we live in and it's our reality. But when we can start triangulating data 
and, and noticing the progression and the, the progress, teachers were excited. And that's when it kind of, we had fourth and fifth graders wanting to join training. We had high school teachers that taught special ed wanted to join training. So we really just every year continuously grew our groups, our cohorts of training teachers for them to understand the different pieces when they received a student that they had a privilege of teaching that year and they got to the point where they were, they didn't know how to address their needs and their deficits. There's nothing like success to motivate and, and want to breed more success. Absolutely. And it was just exciting. I mean, I still get chill bumps thinking when I was able to tell, you know, share the data with the teachers, like, look what you did. <laughs> look what yeah. you have accomplished. Uh, all this hard work, you know, so um, it was it was exciting to be able to to share everything that they had been working towards and, and working on. Yeah. And what just flashed through my mind is every single one of those data points has a f little face behind it. And how exciting to make that impact. That's what teachers want to do is they want to impact kids' lives, not just for today, but for forever. And that's what reading can do. Right, right. And I, you know, that's something to to always remember, you know, even with all of our numbers and, and then data that we look at, that there's there's a name behind it. There's a name and there's yeah. a story behind those numbers. For sure. Well, this also, you know, garnered attention not just within your district with other you know levels of teachers but it garnered some national interest too talk to me a little bit about that it did so it, it was extremely exciting we had um your listeners if they're not familiar with it you can you can search it online eab had uh called me up <laughs> heard about the news um saw some of the the data points that were coming in and we were involved in a case study called Narrowing the Third Grade Reading Gap about embracing the science of reading. And we were one of the, the three states that were involved and they really dug into what it meant if a student faces third grade not reading on level and that significant long-term challenge that they'll have and how that shift from learning to read, reading to learn, and what it means for poor readers. And the, the research, it really highlighted the challenges with most reading instruction. It provided some actionable strategies and it just showcased our story. We also, um, while I was at Rapids Parish, was very excited. We were asked to be on some a few webinars with Dr. Louisa Motes. And that That's is- uh, What an honor. <laughs> oh, it's- you, I mean, I always say, I feel like she's my spirit animal and, <laughs> you know, it's, it's one thing, you know, you get to, to present at plain talk, but it, it's definitely a, another thing to, to check off when, you know, Dr. Moat has my email address and, you know, and I could send her an email if I wanted to. So, um, it was a privilege and she just wants everyone to read. She just, she, she just wants this message to get out. And she's, she's so absolutely amazing and, and showcasing her talent um, on this, this literacy crisis. And so we were able to share the success through some of those webinars and uh, Voyager mm -hmm. Sopris. I had um, 
a few blogs that went out regarding, um, you know, all the work that we did in, in Rapids Parish and the challenges that teaching students to read, you know, that, that's, it's a challenge. It's tough. And we, yeah. we need to give teachers credit and we, but we, but we got to get to work. We have things to do. Yeah. We will link our listeners in the show notes so they don't have to go out and Google this to this narrowing the third grade reading gap report. And like you said, it's just, I mean, I've been back to it a few times. I was just mentioning to you, I went back again and there is so much in there. Um, that's so, so helpful. It is. And if, and, you know, and that could be a great starting point. If someone's like, where do I begin and what do I do? Well, take a look at what some others have done just to, to kind of start getting your feet wet. Yeah, that's a great suggestion. Great suggestion. Well, congratulations on all the success. And so you actually did then. So then the, the, you know, the, the next part of your story is you transitioned from that parish into CDL. Is that right? That's right. And I became the literacy specialist for development and learning. Wow. So we've come all the way full circle um, through your entire journey. And um, I just want to highlight the fact that uh, I think your story is so amazing because you're willing to be transparent about where you started and how you recognized um, a a deficit of understanding within your own self, how you leaned into that learning, um, and how you brought along others in the process of that. And then now at CDL, your impact, what you've done in, in terms of creating coursework for, for teachers to sort of pay that forward is really commendable. Um, and hi- we highly respect that, that you are able to do that. Well, I appreciate that. I think it's just I don't know. We're in this together. <laughs> and if you're not on board yet, well, then I'm going to pull you on board and I'll hold your hand while we're going, you know, but we, we have to do this for our, for our students, for our kids. And um, we all have, whether we have our own children or not, we, there's somebody's baby and it's our responsibility. So I'm just wondering in closing, if you could share some advice that you would give maybe to maybe to people that are a little bit hesitant about making the change or some of those who have, who have just started making the change, what kind of advice would you have for them? I think you need to give yourself credit. And if it's choosing, starting small and chunking all this information, maybe reading a few articles, definitely self-evaluating, do you do some of these things in your classroom? And taking one thing, and, and maybe this summer, one or two things and, and say, I'm going to implement this in my classroom, or I'm going to make sure since I know the queuing system, which is, you know, get your mouth ready and look at the picture and lippies, the fish and eagle eye. I have those strategies in my classroom and I have to get rid of them. You know, if it's making that first step in that transition. And, you know, I think we also need to talk like we are linguists. We are professional educators. So whether we're in cluster meetings or professional learning communities or vertical alignment meetings, we need to be using the verbiage of a linguist. We need to be saying phoneme and grapheme and own those words, just as we would expect our students in a classroom to be using content words and academic vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And and you can start using it, you know, those you own it and if you have a coworker that is not familiar, I promise you they will either ask you or they're going to write it down 
and they're going to go and Google and find out what exactly you are talking about. <laughs> and then that way we're still sending the message and paying it forward. I think right. also it does start from the bottom and at a school level, the admin need to start using those the, the terminology as well. And recently having the pleasure of visiting schools and during professional learning community meetings and and uh, vir virtual and, and in person, there were some schools that really stood out. And it's something that, you know, I how I was trained when you look at data is not only do you need to get to the root cause and then adding to that, back it up with science of reading. But when you walk out of that room, what do the adult behaviors look like? Because what happens is ensuring that you might have the best of intentions. You've, you've talked about that. I do, we do, you do lesson. It's explicit. You're covering all these structured literacy components, but everyone is walking away mentally preparing for that lesson differently. And we want everyone to have autonomy and you're going to have your own teacher twist on any lesson that you provide. But if they're still coming back with deficits and data, then we need to look at the adult be behaviors and how that lesson delivery is, um, being presented to students. I think taking a look at your reading foundations block, or if you have one, or if you don't have one, there you go. There's a, a good little <laughs> tidbit to start for the summer. And, you know, thinking, are you teaching phonological awareness daily for your, your younger students that, and the ones that, as they get older, that still need it? Or is every lesson being taught explicit? Do you have strategies for irregular words? So again, looking at all these pieces, almost like a science of reading checkoff list and then choosing one or two to implement for next year and just slowly give yourself a goal of moving forward. Hmm. Such great advice. And I know, um, as I mentioned, we will link the CDL site in the show notes. We'll link this narrowing the third grade reading gap. All of those places are places that you can go to try to start your journey and think about these small steps you can make. So, uh, Elena, thank you again for joining us. Thank you for sharing your journey. Thank you for giving such great advice. We really, really appreciate it. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I appreciate everything that Amplify does. And, you know, this podcast provides for educators at various levels. It's it's really changing uh, our course of action with literacy. And we need that. For sure. It's all about the kids for sure. Thank you again. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening and keep your feedback coming. Do you want to learn more? Be sure to stay connected by subscribing on your favorite podcast app and join our Facebook discussion group, Science of Reading the Community. Visit Amplify.com to check out all our free literacy events and upcoming Science of Reading Symposium. Until next time, keep the hope, take the action, and stay in touch.